Welcome to Damsels in Dialogue, a podcast dedicated to female protagonists in fiction, film, and the stage. Co-hosted by India Marie Paul and Katie Zetter. For our inaugural season, we will be focusing on eight animated heroines from Walt Disney feature films. This episode, we dive into a legend that has sparked entire fields of study among scholars and a somewhat overlooked Disney film that takes us on a journey to discover a lost city where we meet the princess of Atlantis, Kida. Okay, so today we get to talk about Atlantis and this crazy legend science study and the amazing princess Kida. Yes. Kidakakash, which I love saying. It's a cool, it's an interesting name. It's really cool. And it came from my first fun fact. Let's just start us off strong. Yes. Kidakakash. It's a Kiowa, I think it's Kiowa girl's name, meaning raising away the darkness. Oh, I love that. And I believe that's that's a native tribe. I'm not sure if that's American or where where that is set. Yeah. But yeah, Raising Away the Darkness makes complete sense. So it was yeah. really fun. It was a really fun fact to start off with. So our last episode, we were in Greece and talking about <laughs> mythology. And actually, the legend of Atlantis and the myth of Atlantis comes from Greece as well. The original story is not a typical Greek mythology story. There's no vases, paintings. There's no evidence that it was in oral tradition before it was written down by Plato. The first known mention of Atlantis is from Plato, one of Plato's dialogues. So Atlantis shows up in his la- some of his last dialogues in the Timaeus and the Critias, I think. No scholar get on me about how I'm pronouncing <laughs> anything in this. Um, <laughs> but mostly it was in the Critias. But it was actually left incomplete. So this kind of adds to the mystery of Atlantis as well. But it's mentioned there's someone talking to a king about Atlantis. And he kind of tries to explore, I believe, and what a lot of people believe is he's exploring hubris and being too greedy. Because Atlantis is this massive island off of the Pillars of Hercules, which I did some digging and that means... (laughs) The Pillars of Hercules is there's a legend where Hercules has to travel across what is now the Strait of Gibraltar. He has to cross the mountain that was once Atlas. And instead of climbing the mountain of Atlas, he smashes through it and coincidentally creates the Strait of Gibraltar that connects the Atlantic Ocean and the Mediterranean Sea. Classic Greek mythology. (laughs) So accidentally creating the thing. (laughs) Massive geological Yes, things. exactly. So it's funny that Hercules came up again in this. Yeah. Or Heracles, if we're going to use his Greek name. <laughs> Proper Greek name, as we have learned. So he created this. So that's where Plato places it. And that, for people who aren't good at geology like myself, I had to look it up. The Strait of Gibraltar is south of Spain, north of Morocco. So he places it there. It's this large island. It's this powerful empire. And it was created by Poseidon. So it says that Poseidon fell in love with a a mortal woman named Cleto, had 10 sons. One of them was named Atlas, and he became the king of Atlantis. (laughs) Holding the. I don't think it's the same Atlas, but it definitely is the Atlantis king. Atlas is. Is Atlas just like the Greek version of of Britney? Like Britney? Everyone was named Britney? Yeah. (laughs) The boys were named Jason? It's a little throwback. Throwback to Hercules. <laughs> it all kind of, it felt so relevant because we recorded these back to back. So it, yeah. it was really fun uh, to dive into this. So the kingdom of Atlantis, there's no magic in it. There's no weapons. It's just this ancient kingdom. He specifically says that there are three rings around it, around the capital. There's like a hill and, and there's a capital on this hill or a temple on this hill. And there are three channels of seawater. So they all connect out to the ocean which you do see in the Disney film. Yeah. I was really, when I read that and then I rewatched Atlantis, I went, there they are. They're the three, yeah. the three rings. So that was really a really cool detail that they took from Plato. He goes into a lot of detail about exactly how Atlantis is and what it's like and the topography of Atlantis. And that's also why some people believe that he was writing about a real place. It's because oh. it's so detailed. Um, yeah. There's a lot of reasons why people think it's real, but I'll try to minimize <laughs> all of that. If you really want to study, become an Atlantologist and just go <laughs> dive into that. But the gods were really angry with Atlantis because Atlantis was trying to conquer everything around it and to build their empire. And they actually, why Plato was telling it 
was he said that Atlantis tried to take over Athens and should have, but Athens, even with their smaller army, kept them back. So it was kind of also talking about Athens as being this strong presence and Atlantis overstepping their bounds. And then the gods were mad at them after they tried to take Athens and sent a huge earthquake to destroy them, turned into a flood that then Mm -hmm. destroyed Atlantis. But then he doesn't finish this like that. That's where we end it. But he never finished it. So it also adds this level of mystery. There is a lot of mythology that can be connected back to real events. But this one, no one truly. There are people who stake their reputations on (laughs) the reality of Atlantis. So I don't want to say no one truly believes it because people do. There has Mm. been an entire field of study called Atlantology and they're Atlantologists. And they're very intelligent people who are very determined to believe that this is real. Very Milo of them. Uh. Very Milo. Yeah, it's very Milo of them. And I think when they were researching it, because they had to dive through all of these too when they were researching Atlantis, that they must have been inspired by just the amount that they had to go through. And what we find out is they're a big mixture of a lot of the things that happened. So Plato wrote the original story of Atlantis. He writes a lot of parables and stories to teach philosophy. So to me, it's a parable about greediness and hubris. And all of that. That's how that's my interpretation. And I believe most people's interpretation. He (laughs) sets Atlantis in about the end of the Ice Age. Like when people studied it, they put it kind of it's about 10,000 years ago. That's when Mm -hmm. it would have happened. I wanted to know if Plato wrote all the way until the point that Atlantis was brought and sunk down into the sea. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by the story wasn't finished? Mm Because I haven't read it. But in my eyes, it seems like, okay. They were naughty and they went down and that's yeah. that's that. So so how was it not finished? It wasn't finished. The dialogue itself wasn't finished, the Critias. So there could have been the fallout of what happened to them after. Did they all perish? Oh. Did they are they still alive under the like there's a it's because his dialogue huh. wasn't finished, so his play wasn't finished and it kind of cut off right after that i believe okay okay that makes a lot more it sense. feels very finished to me as well so he might yeah. never have wrote anything else about it but because he didn't finish his dialogue because it was his last one people speculate about the fact that it's not done he could have added that it still exists he could have added oh, how gosh. you find it he could you know i did not know there was an entire field of study about it so i didn't that's new. either i knew it was always kind of this fun legend yeah that i was like course. what happened to atlantis was it real was it not but the more i listen to different podcasts that talk about fake history and really dive in that i really enjoyed but there's just a lot of very passionate people who are very smart and who are digging through all of the texts and trying to find clues and it's a huge conspiracy of it not even that they still exist that atlantis existed so it's looking for the ruins i don't know that a lot of people expect there to be people in this place but they expect to find ruins and proof of ruins specifically if they find the three rings around the hill that's kind of like the biggest indicator yeah 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 So you don't really hear about Atlantis after that either. It's not until the Renaissance where people start writing about it in fiction. There's a lot of people bringing up Roman and Greek mythology at that time too. So that it kind of reemerges. And it's not until the late 1800s that Atlantis becomes this explorer phenomenon. And it's Hmm. because there's this ex-Minnesota congressman. So the conspiracy theories are coming from America. So that's great. Great. (laughs) Doing great. So he retired and got fascinated with Mayanism and the legends of Atlantis specifically. And the idea that Atlantis inspired Mayan and Aztec and Incan architecture along with Egyptian because there are some similarities between them. And Hmm. so the... There was a theory that they both knew about Atlantis and Atlantis has inspired them because they're so separate but have similarities. So he got really interested in that. And then How he did just, he explain their geological distance? The explanation <laughs> is just that Atlantis was this place everyone knew. <laughs> I think. Okay. That's just curious. (laughs) I'm sure that there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like he published, so he published a book titled Atlantis, the Antediluvian World in 1882. And that's where he, he proposed Atlantis was a real place. And he started to add in kind of his own theories other than just Plato's story. Some of which Hmm. were, he claimed that Noah's flood was the same flood 
And the book was a hit with the populace, not with the science community. They completely no, but were a, like, this is ridiculous. Right, right. But, but it sparked it's an interesting this, story. Yeah, it sparked this real big interest. I mean, this is also in 1882. So there's a lot of beginning of exploration of the world. And mm -hmm. they actually, I think this is the time when the ruins of Troy were discovered. If not, then definitely when it was, it fed into it because yeah, Troy yeah. was thought to be a legend, but using mythology to kind of dive in, they found the ruins that would have been Troy. So there's yes. already then this existing finding of something that makes it even more interesting that Atlantis could have existed. So that's where it re-sparked in the late 1800s. And they set the Disney movie in 1914. So it's kind of right at, it would have been his grandfather would have probably gotten on that. Milo's grandfather would have gotten on that reemergence yeah, and then yeah. he passed it to Milo. So that's kind of an interesting where they said it and probably why they said it then. This all sparked then the Atlantology field Gosh. of study. The glowing crystals, I thought, were just a Disney creation. But they were not. Whoa. <laughs> they were okay, not what are they at from? all. What are they from? <laughs> so in 1923, there was a clairvoyant psychic specialist prophet named Edgar Casey who started having visions of Atlantis. So Ed Edgar Casey was known as the sleeping prophet or the father of holistic medicine. And he started documenting his psychic visions in the 20th century and he was the most documented psychic in that century. He would lay down and put himself into a meditative state and claim to connect to this universal consciousness and then get answers about the universe, the questions that he huh. would ask in this this moment. So oh he started God. having visions or asking, I don't know, I don't know what sparked the start of him having these visions of Atlantis or if he purposely went forward or if it came to him or what. I'm sure there's a deeper dive to go into that too, but we're not, <laughs> we're not doing that. Keep it simple as I can. He claimed to have connected and seen the truth of Atlantis, and he claimed that they had glowing crystals that powered advanced technology in Atlantis. Oh, hey, Disney. Mm-hmm. We like, see they just, you. They took it straight from his his visions. Cool. And uh, they said that they brought, he said that they brought about their own disaster through a civil war, and that the survivors of the flood fled to Egypt and buried proof of Atlantis under the paw of the Sphinx. <laughs> so now is everyone, did everyone try and dig up the poor I don't Sphinx know paw? that anyone has. I don't know that you could huh. without destroying it. I don't... That's so unique. What, yeah. what a cool thing. It seems like Disney did a really good job mm -hmm. feeding into that building off of all of that. They did. They really pieced a lot of things together. And I thought what they actually said in the making of documentary that I watched was that they were trying to find the plausible impossible, which is the famous phrase from Walt Disney, where it's yeah. just possible enough that you could b take the extra step to believe it. Yeah. So they, huh. they really tried to make it as realistic as possible. <laughs> it was so, yeah, I definitely went into this research believing that the glowing crystals had to be a Disney invention, and it was not. I don't know if he saw it as the life force, like they were connected to something. I think that might have been Disney. I just know the glowing, powerful crystals were from his visions and that they powered advanced technology. So there was another psychic that claimed that Atlantis was the start of all races and it could be found in the Canary Islands, which is northwest of Africa. So there are already... I've heard of that story. Yeah. That there are already multiple places where Atlantis could yeah. be. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure people have come up with so many. Maybe the Bermuda Triangle yeah. throws in there somewhere. Like there's so many... Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> versions of it. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. There's another famous psychic who claimed that it was of all races and that connects to... Disney's Atlantis because they created a version of Atlantis where they were the first language or they were kind of this idea of all yeah. things combined. So they could understand all of the languages that were spoken to them mm -hmm. because they were the root language. Yeah, that was a really cool scene to watch. It was well. really cool and kind of start picking Very out, oh, that's French. Oh, that's not like, I don't even yeah. know all the languages that are spoken in that scene. No, but it was it was very well, very well executed in yeah. the world building. Yeah. And it I think it was a direct response to Pocahontas where she magically learns English. <laughs> this actually yes. gave it a, a real tangible reason why she could speak to them. 
Right. So it felt like a very direct response to the magic of Pocahontas. We're trying not to mess up. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of funny. And there's different sects of Atlantologists who follow the Ignatius Donelli and the book idea, and then some who are just talking about Plato and trying to decipher that because that's the only real historic legend written down about Atlantis. So there's a lot of there's a lot to dive into with Atlantis, but that's kind of the (laughs) overview of where it started and where and where the Disney team would have gone to. Yeah. How Disney came about doing it is actually really interesting, too. So it's not the whole thing became a very interesting journey to take. It was released in 2001, and it is the same creative team behind Hunchback of Notre Dame. So after Hunchback of Notre Dame, they decided they wanted to keep the team together. A lot of them had been together in Beauty and the Beast because it's that team as well, and then did Hunchback, and then they kind of needed another project or they'd all be split up and go different ways. So they went to a Mexican restaurant and sat around having margaritas and nachos. Oh, where all the best ideas are formed. All the best ideas are over (laughs) margaritas and nachos. And so they were trying to figure out what to do next, what project they wanted to do. They have a little bit of clout because they have now directed Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback. Mm -hmm. And they all discovered that they really, really loved the old classic adventure action movies like Star Wars, Indiana Jones. So they all were kind of those those dorks and those lovers of movies. And you see it with the, some of the cast. I mean, they brought in Leonard Nimoy to be the king, who's Spock. <laughs> <laughs> they brought in, they did bring in the guy who created Klingon and yeah. Vulcan language. Oh, that's so cool. To create, that's so cool. Yeah, to create the Atlantean language, which is a fully fledged thing. They brought in Michael J. Fox to be Milo, and he was Back to the Future. So you have these people who are in those, which is really fun. It felt like kind of a big younger, dork right? fest. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> really are those directors like significantly younger than some of the other big directors at the time? I think so. They were. I mean, they were in Beauty and the Beast because they were young story story artists. But that was in the beginning of the '90s, so this would be they probably would be like 30s. Yeah, but that's still. Pretty young, younger yeah. than even from when we were talking about Hercules. I mean, yeah. the guys who did that took all their inspiration from the 40s because that was what was cool for them, you know? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> so it's funny. It's interesting. This, it's really cool. And a lot of the sounds are very Star Wars in Atlantis. Like the <laughs> yeah. Atlantean fish when they're doing their beams of light, like it sounds like little... <laughs> Star Wars like blasters. blasters. Like you can hear the influence and the love of that genre. And you can see it in a lot of it. It's very Mm sci-fi without being sci-fi. It's very Indiana Jones sci-fi, but not Crystal Skull. Like it's it's very it feels like an and they wanted to do an adventure movie. It very much is. They succeeded. They did succeed in that. And one of the the things they really wanted to accomplish was creating something that made children want to explore or that sparked the adventurer imagination. And this was something that was very different than what Disney did. It's very different. They don't really do that, which is one of the reasons why they struggled to kind of find an audience for this movie. There's a lot of reasons why this didn't explode in a really amazing way because they were trying to take it on a new course. Disney Renaissance is kind of pegged to have ended around 1999. So this Mm -hmm. is right after when they're trying to search for where Disney animation goes next. And so they were trying this and they convinced the studio to let them do it by, I mean, they had a track record, which is good. But they also reminded them that Disney used to make a lot of their money by their live action movies they used to do, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm -hmm. So those are movies that they had grown up with seeing and those were very adventure heavy. But they convinced them that instead of doing something for Fantasyland, they wanted to do something for Adventureland. So that's what they were trying to dig into. Let's try something different. So they let them. And uh, this was a huge undertaking for the CG department. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's so much. All of the the submarines, the Leviathan is CG. Mm -hmm. So many action shots are CG. And they do a really good blending of them, I think. And I think what helped was the art style. Mm -hmm. There is a comic book artist named Mike Magnola. And he did the Hellboy series. So he was the artist on the Hellboy series. And they really loved his style. And so they called him up 
and asked him to be a designer, a production designer and That's like consultant so cool. for this. And he kind of was like, how did you get my number? We're <laughs> <laughs> um, Disney. Yeah. It, I, how intimidating. So not only do you have these two directors who are determined not to do a musical, they were very mm-hmm. like, we don't want to do that. We want to do an adventure. So they brought in all of these sci-fi people and adventure heroes to voice act. And then they bring in a comic book artist to really kind of take the style of the show and run with it. And you yeah. see it in the high contrast in the squared off fingers. That's mm-hmm. very specifically his stuff. Their jaw, Milo's yeah. jaw is it's it's just, very it's angular. Just skinny, like, yeah. yeah, it's very cool. I, I enjoy yeah. the animation a lot. And I think you're totally correct in that it helps with the blending. Because yes. even not to mention Hercules again, but they mm-hmm. only used the CGI for the one big creature in that battle, the Hydra. Mm-hmm. And that's and you can you can tell from yes. a mile away that that is not the same kind of animation. So yeah. they've done a lot in only a couple of years. They researched a lot of Greek, Roman, South Asian, Mayan. They we kind of researched all cultures because for the movie they really wanted to blend everything. And I started to see it with the columns that existed in Atlantis, but then you have South Asian statues in the throne room. They tried to mm-hmm. throw in this kind of mother culture, mother race feeling original root system and that's in the atlantean style as well where they mix they have light colored hair but they have dark skin so Mm -hmm. kita is kind of an amalgam of a lot of different cultures and trying to make her feel ambiguous right which is really interesting while still very much being they're all people of color yes it's just you can't quite pinpoint where yeah but they were trying to avoid a full greek or roman version of atlantis because that's what typically people take it in because of plato right. so they were really trying to avoid that and i think they did a really good job with that one of the things that i found really interesting was that they i love the opening of this film i love that you you meet atlantis and then you have to go find it so you meet yeah. the, you get to see the history you get to meet Kida. so you already have a knowledge of atlantis you have more knowledge of what happened to Atlantis than Milo does even. So right. I think that's an interesting thing we get to see. But originally, they had a huge opening where there was a Vikings who had the Shepherd's Journal. And that the Shepherd's oh, Journal mm-hmm. is created by the screenwriter for this film. Because he's like, I wanted a map. I wanted a map to Atlantis. Yeah. So that made sense. And it felt <laughs> real. But it was the Vikings who had the Shepherd's Journal and loses it off of Iceland, where his right. grandfather finds it. And they get attacked by like a sea monster. So that was the okay. original opening. They fully animated this thing. They fully animated it. They fully colored Jeez. it because that was the opening. I mean, it makes sense. I'm not surprised yeah. by that option. It completely connects you to the Shepherd's Journal. Mm-hmm. But what happened, so they did the whole thing. It cost $5 million to do just this opening. And then the head of story turned to them one day and was kind of like, please don't hate me, but we don't care about the Atlanteans because we don't meet them until 40 ah, minutes into, into the, the movie. movie. So he came up with the idea of putting baby Kida and the history of Atlantis in the beginning and then jumping so that you have this emotional yeah. connection mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to them. You're not if I can't imagine not knowing who Kida was until 40 minutes in. Right. It probably needed to be longer. They cover so much ground. When you start thinking about the fact that it's a full-on getting to go on a journey, a full journey to find Atlantis, but it's not just finding Atlantis, then you have a whole discovery of a new city, and then you have to save the whole city. So it kind of feels like three stories that you have to do in a whole movie. Which is crazy, because it's the same length as Hercules. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, because I watched them like almost back to back and was like, oh, an hour and 36 minutes. And then I jumped to Atlantis like a day later, an hour and 38 minutes. I'm like, that's oddly specific for them to be so close. And I just brushed it off to being like, maybe that was just Disney's thing where they were like, it needs to be roughly an hour and a half. It was because they were kind of forcing them to cut it down. I think that was one of the things that worked against it is that they originally went out to create a journey movie. So they were inspired by Journey to the Center of the Earth, which is a a famous novel. In that book, they actually do find the ruins of Atlantis, but it's really quick. So they kind of took inspiration from that. And one of the reasons that I think this movie had, had trouble, one, finding an audience, but also finding kind of a foothold is that Disney is really known for 
emotionally connecting and for finding heart in things and being about something. And I think this movie, if you dig into it, is about greed for power and not trusting people to not abuse power. But really, it feels like they created it. They wanted to create an adventure movie. Right. It feels like they started with the want of a genre rather than wanting to tell a specific story, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. And I think that's what kind of worked against this movie. Yeah. It feels like they did a really cool thing. And this one feels like it it, it wasn't focused on the character's journey as much as the journey itself. Um, I was trying to really figure out like, what is it that (laughs) doesn't quite land? Because it made, it was a hundred million dollar budget movie and they made 186 worldwide. So they made the money back, but that is not what Disney considers a hit. No. At that, all. <laughs> that's less than the Hercules disappointment. Yep. Man, how crazy. Because it's still a very good movie, but I think you're right. It's just mm-hmm. wasn't right for Disney almost. Like their, yeah. their brand. You know, I would be interested to see what happens with the live action because they yeah. kind of made, they tried to make a live action adventure into an animated and I think right. there's more of an audience for that today. Oh, totally. I think there's a much more. And a more, live action yeah. could be really cool. If they cast it right. Yeah, it ooh, could be really that cool. That could be really cool. And especially with modern technology mm-hmm. and the updated CGI. <laughs> it could be really interesting. So I am really interested in that. But the, the background artist was Lisa Keen on this one as well, who was Hunchback, which is really great. Love seeing Big her. Fan. Big fan. I was really excited to see in the documentary that there was a little more diversity in the creative team. Than there was in other movies, a black supervisor of special effects. It was uh, Marlon West, and it was his first time being a supervisor. And like, oh, you get the film with all of the special effects. Yeah. Because you have to do bubbles, explosions, like all of these. And then you had a female editor. You had a female head of background. The lead animator on Dr. Sweets was one of the few black animators, which I thought was really amazing. This very much matches the cast itself. I Mm -hmm. felt the cast was very diverse for Mm -hmm. its time Mm -hmm. as well. And nobody was questioned. Yes, it did feel like they purposely. Yeah, it didn't feel forced. I was very excited. They had a lot of people with different languages spoken in it because they had French. They had an Italian with Vinny. They had... Um, the Latin American who spoke Spanish sometimes mm-hmm. with Audrey. You had the elderly female communications head who I love and we'll Who's talk about in the after hours. Oh my gosh, comic relief queen. Oh, I love her. So you had, <laughs> but you also had women in positions of power. Mm-hmm. You had Helga and you had Audrey and you had Mrs. Packard as he- head of communications. So you had yeah. on this exploration, you had and different ages, different mm-hmm. ages, different body types, different. Yes. There was a lot, a lot happening there. I, I really appreciated it. I really appreciated it too. And it made me really happy to know that Dr. Sweet, who was one of the first black lead characters because it's a very ensemble piece which oh, is yeah. why like we're gonna have to talk a little bit not about Kita because it's just a whole bunch of mm-hmm. stuff and we'll get there because I love her she shows up 40 minutes into the mm-hmm. film which is sad and what is she based off of they did all this research about Atlantis mm-hmm. how did we get to her we get to her by so her supervising animator is Randy Haycock he actually did baby and young Hercules And he goes on to do Prince Naveen when they do Princess and the Frog. But he, her personality, he was very intimidated by Cree Summer, who is the voice actress. So when they first met, he was very intimidated by just like how much energy and power she held in a room. Right. So he tried to put (laughs) that into Dakita, which I thought was really cool. But he tried to create her using the mother or the original race legends. So she tr- yeah. he really tried to mix as much as he could. So he, she had a slightly wider nose. Mm-hmm. She had lighter hair, darker skin. Face shapes are from different cultures. So he, he really tried to kind of mix a yeah. lot of her angles to be as ambiguous. So he, it kind of just came right. from an amalgamation and from the design team coming together, especially but- with the comic book feel. Yeah. Where'd the character itself originate, though? I understand where mm-hmm. they got Milo from. It seems like he was pulled straight from yeah. like that culmination <laughs> that of, like, yeah. of this is what I want to do yeah. and it's real, you know. Yeah. And everybody else, it, it makes it's really cool how they've clearly had openings of we need yeah. a mechanic, we need a, yeah. a this and this and this. And they 
put these very diverse people, but how, mm-hmm. when did they decide that there would be people in Atlantis and how did they mm-hmm. decide that Keita would be a main character and what she was? They originally, in the journey to the center of the earth, it's ruins. And so they were trying to figure out how to make the movie more interesting because it's the journey itself might be fun for some people, but you kind of yeah. need a goal or a destination. Right, right. And it in, is very cool to yeah, have people there. They decided to... They think they're going to discover ruins and they thought it would right. be much more interesting if what if they discover people. And so that yeah. someone had come up with that in a story meeting and then it sparked, okay, this is the goal. So then they yeah. have a goal for the journey. So they they originally started with just scenes upon scenes of them discovering monsters on the way. Huh. So it became almost a monster film. And on their first kind of storyboard screening where they put them all together and they kind of show the producers and the executives... They brought this everyone into children? a room, right? They brought everyone into the room, then asked everyone but the director and like the writer to leave. So they're like, okay, you can't make a monster film. What is this going to be about? Or what is... So they had to go back to the drawing board and then just decided for them to fully discover Atlantis and it be kind of a part of a thing. I yeah. think this is my opinion, is I'm that they, they probably wanted a princess... Because it was a Disney kind of tradition. Yep. They're like, this will sell. This will sell. Like, so they, I think they threw in a princess and okay. wanted, I know they specifically wanted her to not be a typical Disney princess. So I think they also were pushing the envelope of, we want to not be what Disney is used to. So we can yeah. use what they usually do and push it the other way. So they made yeah. her a, a warrior woman. They didn't want her to be mm. dainty. They didn't want her to be no, a damsel in distress. Strong. She's fabulous. In... Plato's story, there is a hierarchy structure already kind of in place. There is a king of Atlantis in Plato's story. So you already have the king. If you have Atlantis, you're going to make it have a king. So he would have a princess. So then you can fit into all of that. So I think. So she's not based off of anything that exists. Like Disney created her entirely. Okay, cool. No, that's that's really awesome. I I appreciate that about her because. Once again, they built a very cool character out of nothing. They did. I enjoy that. I did. She's a, a warrior princess. She is wearing a lot less clothing than she necessarily needs to, which yes. harkens back to the Star Wars-ness to me of the princess yes. slave Leia. It definitely felt a little like that. In other, like you saw as you went around the village, you saw mm-hmm. people wearing similar clothes to her, Yeah, but none of them wore quite as little as she did yes and then you see her beautiful queen outfit at the end so you know that she can wear a dress like and it's so fully covering though it's like such a beautiful ornate structured yeah so ambiguous yeah piece of clothing that's so cool yeah what helps is that milo never objectifies her he does think she's really pretty but it immediately pretty 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 girl pretty girl. yeah he does i mean he's pretty good a, pretty good yeah so he <laughs> has a couple of those but it never feels creepy and then he instantly yeah. is more interested in her culture and learning about atlantis right. he's like overwhelmed by how pretty she is yes but and then they move on and so learn from nerdy. each other he's too he's yeah. too excited about the other stuff like, <laughs> yeah so yeah it becomes more of them learning Priorities. from each other yeah than yeah. anything like romantic with them which i think is really cool mm-hmm. they are one of the only disney couples who don't kiss yeah so i thought that was really cool that they kind of gave them that growth to happen in their relationship where it wasn't about the romance it really was about them learning from each other and then kind of right bonding um still over the course of like six hours yeah it's really fast but, but they also i don't but. think that they're in love <laughs> like you you get the idea that he's staying but and that they're together but not that okay we're gonna be married now like in the second movie they are officially like together and it's really sweet but yeah in this movie it could just be the beginnings of something which is Uh, also nice that they didn't kiss because it wasn't like i've immediately fallen in love yes yes i really appreciated that and that he also had a female friend in audrey too Mm -hmm. so like that friendship also Mm -hmm. got to develop too which i think is really really interesting and they purposely wanted to have a character that was closer to milo's age for him to bond with on the journey and that's how audrey came to be but she's significantly younger than him she's like 18 17 she's 17 yeah because she's a she's a complete teenager yeah and call her that yeah and then kidakakash is 8800 years old yes and that plays into Atlantis being like 10,000 years old. So she wouldn't have been the first round right. 
of people around. That's one of the reasons why people believe she's not considered the Disney princess, because technically she fits all the bills other than not being mm-hmm. like an, an age group and that her film was not a box office hit. Yeah. That's kind of her and the Black Cauldron Princess. Those are the two who technically... Actual princesses. Yeah. Who technically should be involved, but are not. So that's a big I'll bet you. And Cree Summer, who is the voice artist, you might know her from Susie Carmichael in The Rugrats. Uh, No. Yes. (laughs) I was so excited when I found (laughs) out. And something that she really loved about the experience was animators would come in and watch her do her recordings and dr- and sketch her. And she thought it was the coolest thing because <laughs> uh, you don't really get that in other animated ventures. So she really loved the process. And she says that she considers her a princess, even though no one else does. She, I mean, she is, though. She, she may not 100%. be in the official Disney princess lineup, but she is a Disney princess. Yes, I... Uh, wholeheartedly agree so that's kind of the start of kita and how we've got i've gotten through atlantis what atlantis was how they tried to get it going why it probably didn't do so well when you rewatched it what were your kind of initial thoughts on kita i really liked her i always liked her growing up oh yeah fun, fun fact i own a kita swimsuit yes you uh, do. From Hot Topic. <laughs> i love so, that so the the top is like almost green accurate and yep <laughs> the bottom's a little different but yep. still i always really liked her obviously and i really appreciate how she was characterized as she almost is never interested in Milo physically. Yes. Like, and, and comments on it a bunch. Yeah. And doesn't like, understand why he's so weird about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, and it's everything. She is so logical, mm-hmm. like so, so logical, you know, very inquisitive in everything. So I really appreciated those moments where she's like, oh, you must be an intellect. And she just rips him down, just calls out exactly what he is yep. without even batting an eye. And then when she like takes off the swimsuit cover thing to go swimming, yeah. she doesn't think anything of it because that's the logical next step. Got to show him this. Yeah, we got to swim. And she's like, we're swimming. <laughs> like, what? Do you, why, why are you looking at me weird? Yeah. Can't you swim? You know, so like, so and that's how blunt. she kind of just... <laughs> confident (laughs) that's kind of how she does everything which i really appreciated about her because you did have many characters who knew how pretty they were yeah you know meg knows how pretty she is jasmine knows how pretty she is yes which also are fine things Mm -hmm. to be helga knows uh, who she is in this she's the femme fatale oh my gosh yeah yeah. oh my gosh yeah Mm -hmm. you know so it was very cool to have her be that so i i love that about her I loved her thirst for knowledge. I love her excitement. I think that's where her and Milo really connected, their Mm -hmm. excitement over knowledge and learning. Something that I was really confused about with her character coming back was, okay, she's super intelligent. Mm -hmm. She knows all these languages. Mm -hmm. She immediately can pick apart Milo's part in the group and what he is but she can't figure out how names work i was very confused by that Oh, with the like you speak english but you don't understand how you can have names that are things right i'm like that doesn't make any sense to me because you you would be able to know this person is a doctor this person deals with dirt this person like she would have been able to suss all that out really quickly yeah and may i mean i don't i don't mind getting confused because sweet is a very strange name he is also very sweet so i you know that first sentence of her being like wait he's sweet okay but his name is sweet but he's sweet that didn't bother me but then that it kept going and by the end she was still super wrong yeah is that like at some point i feel like milo as the scholar should have been like okay his name is Dr. Sweets. He's a very kind person. Cookie has a nickname of Cookie because he's a chef. Like, would have just like right, explained it. Right. So either it Milo is horrible at teaching things. Or, or she just, they really missed the, yeah. you know, it just was strange. It just yeah. was strange to me that she didn't catch that. And there were other things they could have done to show how different they are. We could yeah. have seen a little montage of cultural things yeah. of that world instead of, her language understanding how names work yeah because we already established you're right that she has mastered english because they are the root of all language so her understanding of linguistics would be fantastic so so that was really interesting it wasn't it didn't like pull me out or anything it just was like that's weird something that did pull me out a little bit is her this is going to be real strange and really go for it her size changed a lot in the animation her size and her color yeah like was her, if, her, it was in flux especially a lot. the bust the bust kept getting yeah. like in some scenes it was like inappropriately large mm-hmm. but then in other scenes she was almost flat chested 
And that almost pulled me out more because yeah. I'm like, pick a body type. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, and like her, what, all, what bothered me was they did really well at women shapes in this. You had oh, yeah. a muscular Helga, which I right. loved. Oh, she's she, great. She has. Yeah, she's drawn so well. Mm-hmm. She has great muscle definition. Audrey yeah. is drawn bigger, but strong. So she yes. also has a different body type than just a regular skinny princess. Mm-hmm. And then you have Mrs. Packard, who's like her own fun shape. Right. And then, and then Kita, Fun old lady shape. Yes. Kita had the tiniest arms I've ever seen in my life. They didn't fit her body in a lot of Especially shots. Especially with all of the climbing and all now, of yes. the athletic stuff they do. Like Just she make her be... have muscles. Like I don't. Right. She can be curvy. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but stick yeah. to it. And they did give and... her like a delt. Like they gave they gave her a good shoulder muscle. But then her actual arms, like it didn't, I don't know. That, Which that is so funny me. because they go out of their way to make fun of how tiny my yes. is. And then she was like, her arms were the same same size. Yep. Throwing back to how strong she is and how mm-hmm. um, unique she is mm-hmm. up to this point. Her scaling the sides of her own buildings. Yep. And you see how they haven't cleared away, even though it's still a very vibrant city and there's people living there, they haven't cleared away mm-hmm. the vines that creep up the side. And mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel overgrown. Mm-hmm. It feels very natural and organic. And that's how they've purposefully yeah. left it. And that's really cool as Kita walks around. So that's that was another reason I'm like, I wish we could have, I wish there was like a little scene instead of her figuring out their names. I mean, still have have a little moment of her because she would mm-hmm. be interested in them. Talk about but, cities. Talk about right, buildings. Right. Talk about why you did know. they do a little walk around? You're telling me you're telling me Milo wouldn't have wanted a mm-hmm. uh, a, a little tour. Yeah, doubt that. That was a poor choice of just for comedy's sake. They because right. she is much smarter. And something I appreciate that the supervising animator for Kita really wanted to try and make sure happened was that she could have come off very stereotypical mm-hmm. strong woman where who's very straightforward so he tried to make sure she had a lot of subtext and was very playful yeah. and curious and that she always had multiple emotions going on right. in her world because she when she's talking to her dad she has a whole bunch of feelings like she is yeah. trying to help save she going through a lot like she goes through oh, a lot in this movie feel for her and you're excited because mm-hmm. it's not just we're going to the library yes <laughs> you know it's it's she's excited so genuinely excited to learn about things explain things learn about the culture all of that it makes her more Mm -hmm. likable it's the vocal performance and it's the animation that really Mm -hmm. do bring out a playfulness in her even though she is very intelligent and is very confident and blunt oh yeah but she is very (laughs) sweet and kind and i really enjoy all the subtleties they found in her to make her not two-dimensional I do enjoy that our first introduction to her is that great lift up of the mask. And then when Moyer whispers something horrible in French to her that she just straight up punches him in the face. Yes. And so much so that he flies off screen. So <laughs> I do enjoy that you immediately understand she's not going to take anything. Right. More so even than Meg pushing Phil off. So there's also yeah. an instant yeah. dealing with the creepy person right away. Well, and when you watch it a second time, mm-hmm. your first introduction of her is a couple of scenes before that. Mm-hmm. where she you can tell it's her because she's the only one with a mask with a crown thing on it. Mm-hmm. So when you see their you see their silhouettes a couple times and you're like, "Oh, there's people down there." Yes. Yes. Um, yes. But then there's a moment where they they run by and they look and they see them coming and they keep going and she doesn't. She mm-hmm. stays and looks mm-hmm. and that already opens up to this thirst for knowledge, this curiosity. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. They did a good job at doing the industrial 1910s all the steampunk (laughs) stuff was so fun it's so fun really cool it was really fun and it i was looking up the era too because this was the suffragette movement and the fact that audrey is in overalls and that helga is a lieutenant is yeah pretty like doesn't really fit the time period but it's really cool and this is not about kita but i really appreciated how milo asked audrey how a woman mechanic was head in her field. Oh my gosh. I, and I know this isn't about Kita as well, mm-hmm. but just to talk on women in the story in general mm-hmm. and how they were portrayed mm-hmm. was during that conversation, my favorite moment of that. And I remember this from watching it as a kid too, that I thought it was so cool um, where they break all those gender norms mm-hmm. in like two sentences Yep, where he, he asks her about that. 
And she says, talks about her father who wanted two sons, mm-hmm. one to take over her, the car shop and the other to be a professional boxer. Mm-hmm. But then he was stuck with my sister and I. And Milo's like, oh, putting two and two together. Obviously, she succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> they had mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And Milo's like, well, where's your sister? And she's like, oh, defending the national title. <laughs> Casually. He's walking away. <laughs> like, with a little smirk. Like, with yeah. a little smirk, she says it. Yeah. And it's like gender norms thrown out the window. Yeah. Completely and indefinitely from yeah. that moment on. And I really, really liked that. I love that. And I really enjoyed the way he crafted, they crafted the question because it wasn't, how are you in charge? It was, no, no I don't want to offend you. I'm just actually honestly curious. It how was did more you about get her age. Be, yeah, it's like, how did the yeah. you get to be uh, a like famous so mechanic? Yeah, I really appreciated that as how the women are treated in this. Like, there's no yeah. kind of consciousness of them being mm-hmm. lesser than or anything. Right. Like Helga is the one barking orders to everyone on the ship oh, yeah. as the lieutenant. <laughs> so I really appreciated that and that you did have. I remember growing up that I loved that there are multiple women for me to mm-hmm. see in the film. And like, it was yeah. just it was really nice. And as an adult, I really appreciated it, too, because it was 2001 and they mm-hmm. had not only women in supervising roles, but they had people of color, too. Right. So it was really fun. and But women, too. Yes. I was confused why, because they had done so well with the group that goes down of the diversity, and there's lots of women. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about Kida's mom being the queen, but then only the kings of Atlantis are around the stone. Oh, yeah. They never talk about queens or anything. And that was kind of strange to me, because I'm like, you set this really great precedent and then she goes, mm-hmm. the kings of our past, and immediately drops down to pray, yeah. which is an appropriate reaction. But I'm like, that's really strange to me that what happens to the hmm. queens when the queen is the one who was chosen to embody it and gave up her life for it, but she doesn't deserve a face? Mm. That's a that seems real strange to me. good point that, that I hadn't thought of. <laughs> I'm a little ashamed that I didn't think about it. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but that's... And because she is without a doubt becoming queen next like oh, there's not yes. it's not like she's they have to pass down through the male heir no, they, yeah they, they're definitely like equal opportunity <laughs> so what that's annoying that's why were they all men that's real annoying oh uh, okay i'm gonna have to want that to be beautiful if, if kita like i do love the yeah. moment with her bracelet yeah and her coming in and having that was a really beautiful moment for kita i think yeah. that was really cool and i love that they included that and it was such a little thing that took no time at all yeah that i really appreciated yeah but you're telling me at the end that they couldn't have carved one yeah. for her mom, too. And, and then he would have been able to touch it and power both up. And it would have been. Right. Yeah. It would have been a, a beautiful moment of, OK, we've learned from our past. And now we're going to figure out how to move on, which is like her father's whole arc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's him being so. afraid of them abusing their own power mm-hmm. so that they hide them away. And then she wants to try and save the people by opening yeah, learning from up. that. Yeah. And changing it. Yeah. yeah. So I just. I appreciate Kita a lot. I think she is very strong in all those moments. I just was. Yeah. But how stunning is it when she is all powered up and walks on water and all those things are crashing around her? What a beautiful power Beautiful. I and the water comes and there's like a bubble of safety around. Oh, so. And everyone's scared. So good. All all of them are scared. Mm -hmm. Milo is the least scared. Yeah. Because he's like, don't, don't, don't touch her. Yeah. <laughs> but the other two are like noticeably, visibly scared. So I don't know. I think that's, yeah. that was a really powerful moment. I forgot how stunning her. that walk. God. That walk is. Especially you don't expect the stones to fall. Yes. That's what caught me off guard. Yeah. She's pulled down and then all of a sudden this CGI stone comes out of nowhere and hits the ground. So that yeah. was a very mm-hmm. visually stunning moment, really showing the power that Kita alone mm-hmm. at this point can wield. can wield. Yeah. And okay. Here's a big plot hole for me. And okay. see if it is for you too. Because I know that you said you had something that really bothered you. So she's this all powerful thing. The crystal mm-hmm. has a pe- the power source has apparently decided that to be safest, it needs to go into Kita to do something. If the power is supposed to protect the city, why in the world? Would she willingly go and would the crystal willingly go when when the crystal leaves, life on Atlantis dies as they know it. So right. it doesn't make any sense why it 
Because also it like chose her to come up at that moment. Too. Yeah. I don't think it was her being like, oh, I'm going to go grab that. Yeah. Because I don't think she knew what she was doing. I think it just called to her. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It didn't that 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 felt very spicy. It felt like, like we don't like want our citizens to, to die now. So we're going to go with the people who have guns. But also, how is the language lost? I don't that also doesn't. That was my big plot. Yeah. I really disliked mm-hmm. that. Since everyone there outside of maybe the babies were alive because mm-hmm. nobody looks as old as Papa King. Yeah. Nobody looks as old as him. So every single person on that island who is Kita and up mm-hmm. was alive before. And there are many people older than Kita. So mm-hmm. you're telling me that nobody knew the language mm-hmm. and no one remembered how to turn on those things. Because they were no flying them their when culture. they were. Yeah. When they were attacked, it makes no they sense. were flying them. It, I, I could understand like him trying to protect Kita because Kita was young enough. Yeah, she yeah. she is portrayed as like six years old or so. Yeah. She's very little. So I could see it as the father is protecting her mm-hmm. and doesn't want her to be hurt by how he grew up and, and caused this yeah. pain. So I get that, but you mm-hmm. can't mind wipe everyone. Well, that's I the like maybe because it was thousands of years ago, so it's been thousands of years. Because apparently the power source is the fountain of youth as well with the crystal. Right. So if it was thousands and thousands of years ago, if he banned the use of everything, I get like maybe you would. But forget how? The- then how do they do anything? How they write anything down? How did they? I don't know. Read? They're still how ruins. Did they, how did their society stuff? function without? Not that they couldn't completely function, but how would they keep track of... And what do they write now? Anything. Nothing? Yeah. Did they, like, it, yeah. It doesn't track at all. Did he Did he burn all the, burn the all libraries? The books? <laughs> like, I don't understand. I just... That felt very cheap to me. I yeah. felt like there were other ways to do that. I don't know what those other ways were, but yeah. it just... It felt very cheap. And like you yeah. had said, too, the... Oh, they just called her and all of a sudden she was pulled up into it. It made sense for it to come to her... Yes. When the volcano... Mm-hmm. like eruption and her bring, being brought back like yeah. that made sense to me yeah and it made sense that she needed to protect it or that it made sense oh, to yeah. me that they were going to give it to her even i could buy that instead of it becoming doing the whole stone garden thing mm-hmm. but then if she's this all-powerful thing if she just touched them would they like vanish how come she can't get out of that cage how but, yeah, does the, she even so let she them chooses take her that far chooses to go in that as the safe decision for Atlantis but then with her leaving Atlantis dies it doesn't make sense to me no. that, that she no. would self-sacrifice in that way or that the crystal whose purpose right. is to protect Atlantis would leave right because apparently it can raise stone giants so why wouldn't you do that it's just like so I don't weird. Know. It's so weird. <laughs> so there's a lot of plot holes in this oh that really upset me. And it didn't upset me as a kid. I was like, oh, yeah, that's no. fine. But as an adult, right. I'm sitting there going, come on. Like, what? Why is? And then, okay. So not only does she magically get the power, which I'm okay with, but then she doesn't mm-hmm. use it and they let her take her. But then when the people who switched sides, which was great, when Audrey was the first yeah. to cross over after Dr. Sweets, who was with the dad. But then they don't release her on their way across the line. Like, it seemed very convenient that no one was trying to release her out of yeah. the hundreds of people around watching this happen. Just what? <laughs> so, especially when they've set up that they have a really strong set of hunters. Yeah. Like the Atlantean people have. Yeah have a strong set of fighters who are mm-hmm. so strong that they can vault themselves over boulders with yeah. ease mm-hmm. with their own weapons. It was just... Like, you're telling me they didn't have, like, a special forces that's ready to, to come? Right. Like- Especially since they've been diving deeper, deeper into these monster caves to find food, which is what was set up at the beginning. Yes. So yeah. I don't I don't really know. But on, on the basis of Kida herself, yes. Yes. I think <laughs> she was a very interesting character. Yes. I really enjoyed learning about her. I was a little upset with some of the liberties taken yes all these things we've been talking about for the past few minutes yeah like that don't make sense with the character they built but the character they built yes i think she's really cool and someone to look up to i think she would raid the absolute hell out of bell's library and yes. bell would be just panic behind her like put, make sure you put them back in the yes. oh like- <laughs> i love that i love that she is like she's a, an amalgam of lots of different 
styles. I love that. Oh, yeah. She, Representation is really cool. Yeah, she has tattoos. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really amazing, which they cut out of the second movie, which we will finally move into <laughs> because it was it took longer to animate. So they cut so much of her Ugh. tattoos out um, and they did give her an outfit that was appropriate. It was that great. had nothing to do with her culture. They just yes. made her American. Yeah. She has a slight Britishness to her in the first movie and it's completely American in the second. Yeah. So the second movie is 2003. It was released. They were planning on doing a television show of this, of Atlantis. And then it, because it didn't do well at the box office, they scrapped that idea and then turned the first, I think, three of the storylines they were going to do into this second straight to VHS DVD, whatever it was, film called Atlantis Milo's Return. How do you feel about the second movie? I've never seen it until now. I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. It didn't keep my attention. Mm -hmm. It didn't. It was really frustrating. I loved the idea Mm -hmm. of all of the characters coming back. Mm -hmm. You still had that witty banter. Mm -hmm. You had the guy, (laughs) would you believe it? Another Chinese laundry blown up. You know, you had those little moments. (laughs) Yes. Made it funny. And and, and I I did like seeing them back and all their personalities seemed to stay intact, which Mm -hmm. was also really nice. Mm hmm. I just didn't like that every single story, which was all three, mm-hmm. was just, oh, my dad messed up. So now we have to make sure that we don't mess up. And it's all Atlantis's fault. And every single episode ended like that. And I'm yeah. like, wouldn't it have been so much more interesting mm-hmm. if the series either started with Atlantis coming up, which is the ending scene of it, mm-hmm. either it's starting with Atlantis coming up or us being allowed to explore the world some more yep i don't know i see why it didn't do well and i see why it did not turn into a tv show well and here okay so i had similar feelings to you what i did enjoy about it and what i think could have been potentially really great was the amount of traveling they did to different places and the discovery of other mythology so i as a mythology kind of nerd yeah. Loved that they covered very different they connected Atlantis to a lot of different places, which is kind right. of the the mystery of Atlantis being this like utopia where everything came from. It just felt cheap that then they finished it off with and it's all our fault. We ruined everything. Yes. And I think like, what could have been really cool. So I see it knowing that it was supposed to be a TV show, it definitely is just three episodes of a TV show. It's not a movie. Oh, it's not a movie. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and I enjoy that Kita is trying to figure out whether or not Atlantis should come up because that's a huge decision. That's a very oh, big decision. And I do think they gave her a lot of great moments in this second film. Yeah. I think she had a lot of agency. You get to kind of mm-hmm. understand her feelings and her and Milo's relationship is really sweet yeah yeah so i did enjoy a lot of the characters in it and that they did keep it pretty character driven yeah they Um, definitely did that well which which is needed because you that's what you loved about atlantis exactly so it just became more of an explore it felt like it could have been if you would do it today would be like a carmen san diego-esque version of mythology Ooh. Like so that I was really that interested. Cool. I was really interested in the idea of them being the explorers who find legends and stuff. Yeah. Uh going and Kita learning about the surface world while trying to figure out whether or not they deserve Atlantis's healing. Cuz mm-hmm. what's ironic to me is that Atlantis in this version was sunk because they were too greedy. But yes. if they came to the surface in reality, they would just be completely like everyone would take over, try to take over them. They would especially be, when they come up, they're like they're coming up talking about U boats, and it's during yeah potentially World War One ish. Yeah, the war started in 1914, I believe. Um, and that's when this movie was. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I think they said yeah. it in the year that that happens. Mm-hmm. But they would literally just be coming up. Kita is like, I will return. Yeah, like that's. <laughs> a, I was trying to think like, if I was cr- would redo in the actual TV show, yeah. like what would be interesting. Life in Atlantis would be really interesting. Um, oh yeah, but I do think it's interesting to see Kita struggling with whether yes. or not to bring it up, and then having Milo as a linguist expert and probably a mythology person come up mm-hmm. and then all explore around the world. I enjoyed her in a sweater. I love that she got real people clothes and that they didn't continue to sexualize her at all. Like there was right. They all were in these big, big fluffy sweaters and 
They all get pants, which is really nice because we're still in the 1910s. Oh, so, of course. Uh, it still felt strange, though, that they didn't like that she didn't bring something up from her mm-hmm. world because if they're trying to make her not look like an Atlantean, then why did they bring that dumb lizard? Yeah, the nobody, lava dog. nobody questions. Nobody questions. <laughs> it's like what a Brazilian re- iguana. I think that's what they call it. Yeah, and nobody nobody thinks that's weird. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, there are uh, so many. It's the di- it's the Disney guys. magic of like Stitch is totally a dog, right? Like, he looks like a koala, if anything, but he's right. blue. So oh gosh, it just was strange to me. Yeah. So it didn't buy it. So yeah, there's a lot of good things that I think could have been wonderful. It wouldn't have been a hit TV show, no. but I it would almost have been a really good series of like uh, a short series of yeah. okay, this is going to be ten or fifteen episodes, and that's it. We're going to hit some big, mm-hmm. some big cultures mm-hmm. that were influenced by yes, you know, like that would be really cool. Yeah, uh, but no, I think they bit off more than they could chew. And I don't think that. Kita, after seeing the surface world, would choose to bring Atlantis into no. like I was really thinking about why would she choose to give the world a huge, powerful weapon, essentially. Like it doesn't make sense to me that no. it wouldn't be about them abusing it, it'd be about the world abusing it. Because the world yeah. would. It would a hundred percent abuse as and essentially the fountain of youth that heals people because the crystals yeah. have healing energy. So it Right. Which is very sad about our world, but very true. Correct. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, she, I really loved her. I love that the women in the, overall in this movie were given yes. a lot of power and agency and were drawn did a really great job. in such a variety of shapes. You still had the femme fatale who ends up getting the mm-hmm. bad guy in the end. You had a terrifying death of a villain in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's really graphic and terrifying. There was a lot of death. Yeah, there was this, blood in this um, movie. Mm-hmm. So there's and a recognized death, mm-hmm. not just like, oh, I pushed him off a cliff. Like it was they mourned the loss of mm-hmm. hundreds of people. It is the biggest body count still in a Disney movie because they and started they- off with 200 yeah. crew and they ended up with like 30. <laughs> so yeah. within the first like 20 minutes of the film, I definitely felt like they didn't start with Atlantis. They started with a journey movie and then ended up yeah. choosing Atlantis as mm-hmm. the destination so it felt like it was the process before the story or like the desire to do a style rather than tell a story yeah. and i think that's that was one of the many reasons why it didn't it didn't explode as this great new way of right. disney but ultimately i think they were pretty happy with what they ended up with they got to do a, an adventure animated movie right um, right definitely hit me as an audience like i was the target audience as someone who loved the adventure movie mm-hmm. uh and did love the star wars movies too so it, it there was right. a sect of us <laughs> that existed oh my gosh yeah uh, and and like you had mentioned earlier i loved as a kid seeing all the women yeah not that i didn't like milo who doesn't like milo but oh, it was so like sweet, so yeah. refreshing to see so many mm-hmm. diverse women on it yeah and i didn't understand that's something i liked until i was older but mm-hmm. it definitely was really cool to see and the fun fact that I will share is at the beginning of the Atlantis process, they all got like t-shirts for the team and it said Atlantis, less songs, more explosions. So that was ah! the like, <laughs> mantra of Atlantis. <laughs> I just want like amazing. I want to see what those t-shirts look like. That that's just such a fun thing to throw around the oh, Disney gosh. animation studio. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, despite with how okay it did <laughs> yeah, and all of the plot holes, I really appreciate the women in the story. Mm-hmm. And Kita is a, a very strong mm-hmm. character. And I think they accomplished what they were going for. Of still having that, that princess that Disney wants, but making her very unique. Mm-hmm. Something that other people can look up to and be mm-hmm. a really good role model. Yeah, I think she's a great role model. And I think... They went off the beaten path and it didn't quite work for them. I think they might do better now with more of the acceptance of animation as an overall genre rather than just mm-hmm. fairy tales. Right. But I really enjoyed diving in to get to know Kita and the mystery of Atlantis. I encourage anyone to kind of jump into that <laughs> internet hole of where is Atlantis and what is it. But thank you for joining us on our adventure with Kita. And I hope you come back for more. Yes, please. Bye, everyone. Thank you.
Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Damsels in Dialogue. Tune in next week as we go on another adventure into Africa, where we follow an English anthologist named Jane discover much more than elephants and gorillas in the jungle. If you enjoyed listening today, we'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and share with friends. If you really enjoyed our discussion, you can find more behind-the-scenes content, a peek at our research notes, and even entire bonus episodes on Patreon. Each month, we release a full after-hours episode where we discuss the movies we cover in each episode, unfiltered and unrestrained, along with the -the behind-the-scenes extras and notes. You can reach us on social media. Links to all our platforms can be found in our bio. On those platforms, you will find information about our upcoming season finale special, Maiden Madness, where we randomly place over 30 Disney animated heroines in a March Madness-style tournament to discover who is the top Disney animated heroine. Brackets and more information will be released on our social media. So get your brackets filled out today and let us know who you think will emerge as champion. Until next time, this has been Damsels in Dialogue. Have a nice day. This podcast is sponsored by Royal Princess Parties, LLC, and is produced by Hello Out There Audio, part of Hello Out There Productions.